Well, hey, Heartland, uh, what a what a neat Sunday where we've been able to uh, honor our graduates, even uh, in the, the situation that we're in right now. And, and I'll be honest with you, this this group of graduates, I mean, they are they're extra special. I don't say that lightly. Um, they, they are a good group. And uh, it, it's just weird to see them grow up. Uh, but it's a joy to get to uh, open God's word today uh, with you all and, and with these graduates. Uh, so I just pray that you'll you'll listen and, and you'll take this in uh, today. I remember very vividly uh, one Christmas morning when I was probably five years old, and, and there was that one present that my parents were just sort of like holding back. They knew I would be excited about it, so they just waited to to give it to me. And that present sat there uh, unopened as I opened the other gifts, waiting for that moment that they would let me open this one. And finally I got to, and as I tore the wrapping paper off, the box underneath revealed a Lightbrite. And this was like 1990, so it was an old Lightbrite, a a boxy white back lit up by like a 25 watt bulb with the black front dotted with, with holes so you could put the little multicolored pegs in and make this picture. And I was so excited. So I kept it in the box, and I shoved it under my bed, and I never played with it. Now, of course, that's ridiculous. I ripped open that box, and I played with that light bright all the time. In fact, I still have that light bright right here with me. Uh, why? why? Why did I open it? Why did I play with it? Because that's what it was made to do. That's what it was meant for. That is what its purpose was to be played with. Whenever we buy something or we receive something that has purpose and, and value, we use it. We don't, just, we don't just hide it away. We use it for the purpose that it was made for. And, and scripture is clear that we as Christians have a purpose. In fact, we were specifically saved for a purpose. And if we have purpose, we should strive to live that purpose. And, and this is what that purpose is. And I want you to hear this because I'm going to say it over and over again today. Uh, but the purpose is this. Be more like Jesus so that people know Jesus more. It's to be more like Jesus so that people know Jesus more. Today we're going to be in the book of Titus, uh, stepping outside of Romans just this week. Um, but we're going to be in the book of Titus, chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, would love for you to look at the text with me. Uh, this is what it says. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things 
so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Now, it's a little dangerous to jump into the middle of a book without knowing where the writing is coming from. But fortunately for us, Titus is a short letter. Uh, And in this letter, uh, Paul is writing to a man named Titus, who uh, was a pastor of a church in Crete, a little island off of Greece. And Paul writes to help him know how he can lead this growing church community. Uh, He gives him specifics for choosing other men to serve in the role of pastor. Uh, He addresses issues that Titus is facing in Crete. He offers instructions to uh, how those in the church should relate to one another. Then, as he comes to our passage today, he is focused on how the church should relate to the world. And by world, uh, you know, we mean those people who are not part of the church, uh, unbelievers, those who do not know Christ, do not have a relationship with them, who ideally, these people in Crete and even us today, will hope become believers. So it's right there that we see the Christian's purpose, uh, be more like Jesus so that people will know Jesus more. And this is why it's such an important message for our graduates, because they're at a place in their lives where more independence is going to be given to them. Uh, They're going to start stepping away from the protection of their parents. They're going to have to make choices about what they will do. They will begin to interact with the world in a new and different way. Uh, But it's not just for them, because what Paul says here uh, applies to all Christians. Uh, This is how we should live in the world. And today, uh, I want to give you four reminders that relate to your purpose from this scripture. The first one is this. Remember what is expected of you. Remember what is expected of you. Verses one and two says this. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. You know, Christians have God-given expectations for how they relate to the world around them. And Paul right here lists seven. We just read them. But these seven, they break down into two categories of expectations. The first is our attitudes and actions towards authority in our life. Uh, That was the first three that he lists. And then the second category is really our attitudes and actions towards other people, our peers. That's the last four that he lists. So remember, uh, this passage is speaking uh, to expectations of how to live in a world that is hostile to God, uh, an unbelieving world. It's speaking to living in a secular world. It's speaking to living under a government that is not Christian maybe working for an employer that is not Christian, attending a school that is not Christian. Yet, this passage calls us to submission, to obedience, and to do good work, regardless of how that authority believes or behaves. True Christians are obedient to the laws of the land. True Christians will continue to do good work for those who may be opposed to them. Now, I know this this leads to questions regarding the limit of our submission to an authority that is against God. And very simply put, uh, that limit is at God's explicit law and will. 
That's where the limit is, God's explicit law and will. An, an example is found in Acts chapter five with, with John and Peter, who have been um, captured, if you will, arrested for preaching the gospel and have been instructed to no longer talk about Jesus. And, and their response is, uh, we appreciate that, but uh, we're gonna keep talking about Jesus because ultimately they must obey God first. So that's kind of where the line is drawn. You know, our, our natural inclination is to submit to and, and to obey and to do good works for those who agree with us and treat us well. That's easy. But what should distinguish a Christian from the rest of the world is the willingness to submit, obey, and serve even those who hate us. Uh, this passage doesn't only apply to authority, but also to our unbelieving peers. And Paul lists four expectations there. Now, keep in mind in, in this letter, uh, Paul has already addressed how we treat one another as Christians, uh, but he continues expectations of our attitudes and actions toward, towards individual non-believers. And, and the four together are not really difficult to understand. He, he starts off by saying, speak evil of no one. Now, Paul's not saying to, to shy away from speaking truth when it's necessary. Uh, in fact, previously in this letter, uh, he has called out false teachers, but the Christian has no need to talk about someone with the sole intent to harm their reputation. Uh, that is what is meant by speaking evil. It's really slander in this context, and we need to watch what we say about other people. Uh, also, Christians are to uh, avoid quarreling and uh, be gentle, and, and these two go hand in hand. And some. What is it, right? Some people just, like, they enjoy arguing for the sake of arguing. They want to fight about their position on a topic, and they want everyone to agree with their position on a topic. And it's considered victory to get that last word in. Uh, and sure, they haven't impacted the unbeliever at all, except to turn them off to the gospel. But hey, they won the petty argument. It's just being contentious. It's it's doing something for the purpose of getting a rise out of others, uh, doing something just to aggravate and provoke them to respond. That's being quarrelsome. But a Christian is to be the opposite of that. We're not looking for a fight, but instead we're willing to concede. We're willing to give up of ourselves. We're willing, we're willing to let go of our best interest for the best interest of that other person. Be more like Jesus so that people will know Jesus more. And Paul sums up these things with the idea of show perfect courtesy to all people. Now, he's not presenting a, a new idea because in all that he has said thus far, that is what the Christian should be doing. A Christian should live in a way that values all other people above themselves. That's what it would look like to show perfect courtesy. But then Paul goes on to remind us of something else in our second reminder. Remember who you once were. Let's remember who you once were. Verse three, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Now there's a clear distinction made between who a Christian is now and who they were before they knew Jesus. And Paul points this out again by giving us seven phrases uh, that stand in contradiction to the seven things that were expectations of us. 
But Paul's primary goal here is to remind Christians that they once were just like the world, who they now have this tension with and now have to live in with these expectations. You know, often when we are reminded of our previous shortcomings, uh, the struggles that we in our past went through, uh, the past sins that we now have been forgiven of, it, it serves to, to humble us and to make us more gracious towards others. And it's humility and grace that Paul is encouraging in the attitudes and actions of Christians towards non-believers. You know, we could consider this a reason for the expectations. Paul has laid out for us in the first two verses. Uh, You know, we at one time were just like them. We at one time were like the very thing that we don't want to submit to and we don't want to treat with perfect courtesy. Uh, I know some will see this list and, and find it to be a little bit extreme, uh, maybe with like, you know, thinking, uh, I, I was saved as a child. You know, I, I don't I don't sin in this way. But what Paul is doing here is he's reminding us that we were once enemies of God to the, to the core of our being. We do not naturally want to know God. So this reminder isn't just to make us humble and gracious, but it's also to make us understand and appreciate what God has done for us. Because something happened. Something caused change in us, Christian. We went from being an enemy of God to children of God. And our ultimate goal is to see others become children of God. Be more like Jesus so that people know Jesus more. But what causes that? What is the cause of change in us so that we can then live out these expectations in this world and no longer be like who we used to be? Uh, Jesus is our living hope. We need to remember that it is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that saves you. But remember, it is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that saves you. Verse 4 says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know, Paul uh, puts a but right here, and it is a capital B, but. Uh, It plays right off of who we once were. Something has happened that has changed who we once were. Maybe I should say someone has happened, someone has happened that changed who we once were. And his name is Jesus. And this seems like a a ridiculously obvious point. Of course, God saves us. But we need to remind ourselves of this constantly. And Paul, once again, he breaks it down into seven things. And this is really cool. Uh, The first thing, when when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Uh, Paul is speaking to a point in time where God showed how good, uh, where God showed how loving he is. Paul is talking about the coming of Jesus, his birth and his life. And, And the second thing, what did Jesus come to do? He saved us from who we once were, from being enemies of God that we were described as in verse three of this passage. And why did he save us? Number three, uh, not because of works done by us in righteousness, 
but because of his own mercy. You know, our salvation is not because of anything good in us, but rather it's completely because of his mercy. I'm reminded of Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul is telling us something about the character of God towards us when we did not believe so that we can display this same character of God to those who do not believe. We don't just do this from our own effort, though. The fourth thing that we see here is how we are brought to the point of living this way. And it's through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Salvation involves a supernatural change in the person who is saved. First, they're given a new birth. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Not a physical birth, but a spiritual birth. And just like physical birth brings life, so does spiritual birth bring a new spiritual life. Uh, the very life that Paul is describing at the beginning of this passage and is described for the Christian throughout this letter. And then the fifth thing, this is all made possible by the work of Jesus Christ, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The change in us coming from the work of the Holy Spirit, from who we once were to who we are now, was made possible by Jesus Christ and his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his triumphant resurrection, and his glorious ascension. Without this, the Holy Spirit does not come to the life of a believer or to live in a believer. The sixth thing then, so that being justified by his grace. Now, Paul is using justified to generally speak of salvation, but we've seen the character of God expressed already in this passage, and grace is that character applied. Grace is that unmerited favor towards us, which he has given us in our salvation. And the last thing, the seventh thing, that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It is a remarkable thing that our salvation, that we are saved, uh, not just so that we can have this eternal life and we get to live forever, but there's actual possession of all that God has for us. We are heirs. We are inheritors of the kingdom of God. Now, why does Paul go through such an explicitly detailed view of salvation here? Well, if, if I'm living in a world that is against God, but I have to love that world, well, I need to know daily that the only reason that I'm different than the world is because it is God that has made me different. If I realize that it all comes from God, it leads me to humility and it leads me to grace towards those who do not believe. But be more like Jesus so that others know Jesus more. And then finally, our, our last thing, uh, remember you were saved for the purpose of good works. Remember, you were saved for the purpose of good works. Verse eight says, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So we bring it full circle because if we're striving for people to know Jesus more, we must be like him. And to be like him is to be about the business of doing good towards others. 
uh, doing good works. That right there is what is excellent and profitable for these people that we are talking about. You know, when we think about our mission at Heartland Church, really what should be the mission of, of any church, this is specifically the, the love our world part. We must do good towards them regardless of what is done towards us. So I want you graduates and I want the church as a whole to remember these four things. What is expected of you, who you once were, that it is God that makes you different, and your purpose is good works. Be more like Jesus so that others know Jesus more. And graduates and all Christians, salvation is the most valuable thing you possess. It is, it's priceless. Uh, you can do nothing to earn it. You can do nothing to lose it. You have nothing else in your life like it. So do not leave your salvation in a box under the bed. Take it out for its purpose and shine the light of Jesus to the world. You know, some of you may be watching and you uh, do not have um, a relationship with Christ. And I appeal to you, like genuinely plead with you, uh, realize that it is only through Christ that you can know God and you were made to know God. And you were made for the same purposes that I'm talking about today. But you need this salvation, all right? And the Bible invites us. It says to repent and believe in the gospel. It says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I plead with you today, to do that. And, and you can reach out to us uh, through our online connection card. You can call. Somebody would love to just talk with you about what that looks like because we would love to welcome you into our community. Heartland, uh, you have a great week.